Welcome to Setting Captives Free podcast. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But many people wonder, how can I be free from things I've struggled with all my life? Anger, impurity, anxiety, depression, fear, gluttony, and so on. Well, today, Eric Hurt and Mike Cleveland study a passage of Scripture that will help you enjoy the freedom that Jesus died to give you. Consequences. That is the subject of our discussion today. And uh, welcome to another Setting Captives Free podcast. And my name is Mike Cleveland. Normally, I'm with my brother and partner in ministry, Eric Hurt. Today, I have a special guest, and I'm just so excited and thrilled to be able to do this podcast with my wife, Jody. Hi, Jody. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to doing this podcast with you. Uh, Consequences. So the question comes, if a husband sins in his marriage uh, in any way, but let's take, for example, maybe he views pornography or sexual impurity, uh, is it right and proper to put him on the couch, to put him in a doghouse, to kick him to the curb. Um, What we're wanting to discuss today is consequences. And let's begin with that question there. Jody. what do you think? Well, first of all, I think that street goes both ways. Wives uh, sin too. And, um, And, you know, the good news is that there is another way right? Uh, Consequences are a fact of life. Um, We're going to see that in our discussion today, I'm sure, but um, God determines consequences um, and lays them out for us. But he also makes a means of grace, and he's given us another way to approach these sin issues in marriage, and I'm excited to talk about that way. Yeah, that's the way that uh, is the new and living way. So you said that God is the one who determines consequences, and I think that's a really important teaching because, um, you know, sometimes uh, we humans want to determine the results of sin. We want to give the consequences uh, for somebody, but that's not the way that uh, we have it in Scripture. But before we get there, let's talk about uh, what are some of the first examples we see in Scripture of consequences? Well, of course, um, initially we have um, Adam right in the garden. Uh, God, in Genesis 2, God puts creates Adam and puts him in the garden, and he says to him, um, you can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat. And the day that you eat of it, uh, you will die. And that's a pretty stiff consequence. Well, and we think about how did that work out, right? Right. Uh, and so when God said, uh, here's the consequences, you should know them up front. If you sin, you will die. Uh, that did not restrain Adam from sinning. Uh, that did not teach Adam how to live righteously. Uh, right. So that consequence that Adam uh, was told he would have wasn't effective. It, wasn't, it was powerless in Adam's case to actually restrain him. Uh, and so... Right, and I think, I think that's important. That's an important point. I think that's one of the reasons why consequences really are so ineffective. Um, I think about the Israelites. That might be the next place we go. When God gave them the Ten Commandments 
you know, he in essence said, keep these commandments perfectly or you will die. Um, and again, we say, how well did that work out? Yeah, not so good. Not so good because they, they in their hearts, they wanted to keep those commandments. They really did, but they just couldn't do it. They kept going off into idolatry over and over and over again. And, um, and it's heartbreaking to watch, but there was a reason um, God records all this for us. Yes, the reason is that he was showing the ineffectiveness of the consequences. Uh, God was showing that the law could not make human beings righteous and holy. Now, so does that mean that the law is itself not valid, that the law itself is wrong or broken or something? No, absolutely not. The law is perfect. God created it. It's good. In Romans 8, it says, verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Um, and so we have weak flesh, and all the rules in the world are not going to restrain it. It's not going to teach us to live differently. But God, he did what we cannot. He, the the, the rules could not make us righteous, but God could do it. And this was the plan from before the foundations of the world. So in other words, the law itself is holy and righteous and good, but it could not make you and me holy and righteous and good. That's what Romans 8, 3 is saying. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son. And here's the point. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Uh, God had said, if you eat this uh, fruit, the fruit of the tree, you're going to die. What actually happened? Well, they got consequences. God came in and he said, there's going to be thorns and thistles and sweat and hard work and pain and labor. And there's going to be difficulty in relationships between husbands and wives. And there's going to be enmity between uh, the seed of the woman and, and, um, and the devil. So um, all those consequences were enacted. But the good news is that he didn't stop there. And that's what we wanted to get to, because um, God had promised death for sin, and, and death certainly did come. But in that situation, God put to death a substitute. Um, it says that he clothed Adam and Eve in skins. Um, and when we have to understand from the rest of the Bible that God put to death a substitute. He no doubt it was a lamb or some kind of an animal that he put to death in the place of Adam and Eve, and then he clothed them. And Jody, if you think about that intimate act of clothing Adam and Eve, you know, doesn't that remind you of the cross of Jesus Christ when he came and died and he gave you his robe of righteousness? Oh, yes. I mean, if you just think about it, the, the magnitude of all that Christ suffered and, and the magnitude of what it must have been like for um, Adam and Eve to witness death for the very first time. Before this, there'd been no death, right? So to see death for the first time and then to wear, wear it, right? It must have been somewhat shocking, right? And that is what the cross is. It is shocking in its mercy, in its love, 
Here Christ is taking on all our sin and taking on all the guilt and shame and nakedness of our wickedness, right? He's taking it all to himself and then dying so that he can clothe us in his righteousness. Talk about a great exchange. You know, that, that exchange between um, Adam and Eve and God in the beginning was just a tiny picture of what Christ was going to do for the whole world. And here he's done it. He's, we look back to the cross and we see that it is finished. He has um, died. He has risen. We died in him. We have risen in him. We are new creations in him. And we are clothed in his righteousness. This is um, the way consequences are met at the cross, right? This is what happens when they collide. Yes, exactly. And so what we have here in this passage in Romans 8 is the law was powerless to make Adam and Eve righteous. The law was powerless to make the Israelites righteous. And so God did something about that. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And Jody, um, if you look at that next verse in verse three, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Now, that is amazing because we know ourselves to be sinners. We know ourselves to be unrighteous people. And yet through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his sin offering in our place, that made you and I righteous according to the law. Is that not amazing? It is, and it's so relieving because I know me. I am weak, and I am not going to keep the rules perfectly. I'm not ever going to be able to. By God's grace and mercy, I grow, and and I fall less than I did, right? I learn. I change. I'm transformed by his mercy and grace, but I still sin, and I need to know that my standing with God is not dependent on my keeping the rules, but it's on Christ's perfect righteousness, his perfect performance in my place, right? He lived perfectly. He lived the life I should have lived. And, and he's attributed that to us, his children, his people. Um, and now we can rest in his righteousness and we uh, grow in grace and learn to live differently by... Um, living there by being there at the cross and never never forgetting what Christ has done on our behalf. Exactly. And so what we have here is that the law was not able to make human beings righteous. Um, all the rules, all the, the consequences that you could set forth um, are not able to change a man's heart. And so if a man were to, to look at those consequences, but then the power of temptation hit him, he loses sight of the consequences, and he, like Adam in the garden, plunges headlong into the sin. And so you can threaten, you can set consequences, you can make rules, and a man who is blinded by sin will push past all of that and race headlong into sin. And the Bible says that Adam not only sinned himself, he plunged the whole human race into sin. And so we're born with Adam's nature, and no law is powerful enough to change my heart and make me hate sin. 
And so, Jody, if you were to, for instance, say to me, um, you know, hey, Mike, if you, you know, fail to uh, only think of me today, if you have thoughts that wander, uh, you get to sleep out on the couch tonight. Okay, is that going to change my heart? Is that going to make me love God or you? No, it's not going to do any of that. Um, I think that uh, thinking about it in that context is quite helpful. But to be able to say to someone, if you don't do this, even if you're agreeing, you know, like you two come up together and uh, the two of us decided together, hey, if, if, um, if you forget to take out the trash, then, you know, you're going to have to do the dishes, right? Um, so even, even if you're in agreement about it, it's still not an effective um, solution to this type of situation in a marriage. We want to um, have all of our solutions centered in the solution, which is the gospel, the cross of Christ. And so if, if, we are looking at a situation and saying, how can we deal with this according to grace? Rules are never going to be the answer. That's right. Um, and so what did God do? All right. So he demonstrated to the whole world that the law was powerless to make changes in the hearts of people. And so he had originally set the Ten Commandments. He had originally uh, operated based on the principle of law. Um, but then that's the Old Covenant. The, right. the Ten Commandments are the Old Covenant. There is a New Covenant now. And in, in Jeremiah chapter 31, it talks about that New Covenant where God would give us a new heart and put a new spirit within us and that he would work internally motivating us to obey. And then when you come to the book of Hebrews in chapter 8, it, it shows the fulfillment of that, which would be that we would be forgiven of sins. God said, I will remember your sin no more. Jesus said on, on the night when he was going to be crucified, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant when he handed out the, uh, the wine to his disciples. So at his death, he made a new covenant. That new covenant then is based upon forgiveness of sins it's based upon the looking at sinners and seeing them completely righteous based upon Christ dying in their place and taking away their sin. And so, Jody, how can we um, in our marriage, how can listeners who are listening to us, how can they apply the new covenant to their marriage? Oh, the most beautiful way is to come to the cross together, right? Um, as we, let's say a situation comes up in our marriage, we have a disagreement of some kind and, and we're upset with each other. If we come to the cross together and we look to Jesus, this is going to do two things. One, it's going to remind us of the forgiveness that we have received from God, right? Based on the blood of Jesus, we are forgiven of our great sin debt, our our sin debt that um, has spanned, you know, throughout our lifetime, sins that we haven't even experienced yet. This is, it's all been forgiven. That weight is off of us. There's no guilt and shame. There's no condemnation for us as individuals in Christ Jesus, right? And, and we are reminded of that together. And in light of that, 
in light of that great love with which we have been loved that was displayed on the cross, in light of that, in light of the forgiveness that we have received from this great sin debt, we can look at each other and say, hey, you know what? I forgive you because I've been forgiven. And you can say to me, hey, I forgive you because you've been forgiven. Your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. My sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. And we can look at each other and live in love and live in grace and in kindness and compassion with each other because Jesus has dealt with us so kindly and he's been so good to us. And he's been so gracious to us. And he, if he who is perfect and holy and sinless can extend such love and grace to us, how could we not also extend it to each other, right? We have to move forward on the basis of the cross, not on the basis of who was the best spouse today or who was better or who's sinless or who's innocent in the situation. There are no innocent parties. There really aren't. We're all sinners saved by grace and the mercy of God, right? And when we remember that, when we look to the cross together and we see the love and the, and the grace of God poured out on us, then we're able to extend it to each other and move forward together as one team, as a united front, as, a, as unified in the gospel, instead of being thwarted by the evil one who just wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That was beautiful. And what I'm hearing you saying, and we could make a summary like this, there's a performance-based relationship, and there is a grace-based relationship. The performance-based relationship is where I say to you, you better measure up. And if you don't, I've got some consequences for you. And you are going to experience them because you need to live right. The grace-based relationship says, I forgive you because I've been forgiven. Jesus died for me to wash away all my sins the least I can do is to forgive your sins. The one, the performance-based relationship, is not going to affect your partner, your spouse's heart. It, the heart is going to remain the same. It's going to be hardened even, because uh, that's not the way in which God has chosen to change hearts. The grace-based relationship where we live under God's forgiveness, where we live at the foot of the cross together. And I love how you said, we both come to the cross together and we look up. That's going to change somebody's heart uh, as they look at the cross. You, you know, Jody, you can't look at the cross and not be changed. You can't ever unsee the cross because when you look there, what you see is has loved you unto death. I mean, think about the extent to which he went. Uh, he gave up his life. He breathed his last breath for you. He, he surrendered all of his body, soul, mind, and spirit to death because he loved you. And as you look there and you experience 
the love that he's pouring out at the cross. Oh my, you just, you'll just never be the same. And that's why, Jody, I heard the tears in your voice. And, uh, and I, of course, seen for many years in you. Just the power of the love of God as displayed at the cross just takes your breath away and your voice away and brings tears out of your eyes because there's no greater love than the fact that Jesus laid down his life for his friends. And so we do not want to live in a performance-based relationship where there are man-made consequences. We want to live in a grace-based relationship where Jesus took our sin, our guilt, our shame, and gave us his righteousness, his forgiveness, and we live that way in our marriage because we're both under the cross, not under the law. And for a minute, Jody, as we summarize this, tell me about the woman caught in adultery and just talk about the, the, how Jesus dealt with her. Was it according to consequences or how did he deal with her and how do we apply that in marriage? Well, certainly um, the woman was guilty. She had done a sinful thing and the law itself condemned her. And of course, the Pharisees brought her to Jesus and trying to trap him, right? And Jesus um, writes something in the ground and waits patiently. And then everybody goes away, right? Except all the accusers flee. <laughs> and then he says to the woman, where are your accusers? And I love that because, in other words, I'm not accusing you. I know your sin. I see your sin, but I'm not accusing you of anything. Where are your accusers? They're, they're gone. And he says to her, and, and he's really the only one who could actually judge her. But he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And this is a beautiful example of how we want to be with each other. Jesus, of course, had the right to judge this woman. And what we were establishing before is that we actually don't have a right to judge each other. We're not in a place. We're not sinless. We, we have no standing by which we can say, oh, I am you know, righteous and you're ungodly. And therefore, I determine that this is going to happen to you. We don't really have that right, but Jesus did. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And, and God says to us, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we have to live with each other under no condemnation. Now, look, the natural tendency is that when we sin, we feel condemned. That's a feeling, right? And we want to pay for our sin. That's a natural thing. We might even want to set consequences for ourselves, or our spouse or might want to set consequences for us. But this is not according to the truth. It's not according to the gospel. That is a law-based, performance-driven um, type of relationship. And it is not going to be one that is rejoicing and happy and, and, um, and free. It's going to be one always worried about what if I transgress? What if I do wrong? If I do this and, or you, you get, you get more deceitful, right? You want to hide more because you don't want to have to face the consequences, right? And so instead we live with each other. Neither do I condemn you. 
Now, how can we work together to avoid this sin in the future? How can we work together to move forward in intimacy with Jesus and each other? How can we live in love in light of how much love we've received and what we witness at the cross of Christ? Yes, and so in essence, Jesus um, made the foundation of learning how to not sin be grace. In other words, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. Go and sin no more. And so grace would teach this woman. Grace would empower this woman to go and sin no more. So it's not consequences. It's the cross. It's yeah. not rules and religion. It's the Redeemer. And so yes. we, we live that way. And, and Jody, I just want to tell you, it has just been my honor to, to interact with you over so many years and uh, experiencing you living out what you taught today, where I am not condemned even if I fall. I'm not kicked to the curb. I'm not put in a doghouse. We don't have a doghouse, but I know I wouldn't be put in there anyway, even if we did. And, uh, and just the love that you have given to me has literally changed my life. And I thank you, and I love you, and it's been good to be with you today. And uh, would you like to close in prayer? And just if you would, think about someone listening right now, and maybe they've heard from the world, because this is what we're talking about here. This is the world's teaching. The world teaches tough love. You've got to kick them to the curb so that they learn, right? So that they will, will feel the consequences and feel the pain of what they did. Because uh, obviously, if they feel the pain and they have the consequences, they'll change. Well, we know that's not true. And maybe someone's heard uh, of that teaching. Um, and now they're hearing the gospel way. So if you would, pray for that person that is, is wondering, wow, I've, I've, I've done this wrong or I've... I've not treated my husband or wife according to gospel grace. And, and maybe just pray right now for them in closing. Sure. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for Jesus and the plan that you three uh, came up with together to redeem us through the death of Jesus on the cross. And we thank you, Jesus, that you took the consequences. You took them all. You took the wrath of God. You took all the guilt and all the shame and all the scoffing and the mocking and the hating and the beatings that we deserved. You took every bit of it, every consequence that was due to me, and you took it on the cross. And I thank you for that. I thank you for dying the death that I deserved, for paying the wages of my sin and the sins of the whole world. Thank you. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us, keep us from trying to pay our own sin debt by, in, by enacting consequences on ourselves or on each other, by, by trying to say, oh, the gospel isn't enough. I also need these boundaries or these rules or these regulations. And Lord, I pray that you would open the heart of whoever is listening today who is um, considering the need for consequences or boundaries or whatever it is, and let them see the power of your cross. Let them feel the power of the resurrection. Let them know the truth that those who live according to the Spirit are, are living um, in life and peace, and those who um, 
want to live by the law are just putting themselves under a curse. Lord, I pray that you would free them up to embrace the gospel, to realize that you have removed their condemnation, that they are free. And if they believe in you, if they receive you and, and your righteousness, that there is no condemnation for them. There is no need to, um, to set consequences, but rather to come to the cross, to receive the forgiveness, to renew their mind in your word, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that leads them to you, Jesus, and away from gratifying their flesh. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your love on them so much at the cross that they would experience the freedom that only you can give and that they would not try to um, add to what you have already done, but that they would just rejoice in the truth. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of Setting Captives Free. For more information or to enroll in free interactive courses on finding freedom, please go to settingcaptivesfree.com. Tune in next time for more truth that sets captives free.